Welcome to the FCC Knowledge Podcast, where we talk to real people about real life when it comes to leadership, finance, economy, transition, and just about everything else in entrepreneur's journey. I believe that it made sense to raise an animal that produces a fiber that would keep us warm in a province that's cold. So, so that's why that was how our journey began. In 1996, Carol Poole, owner of Tiger Lily Ranch, was at the forefront of an innovative new business. At a time when exotics like bison, ostrich, and elk were all the rage, she and her business partner formed Tiger Park Alpacas. Today, they focus on producing world-class alpaca fiber and have developed some of the best breeding stock in the industry. In this episode, we'll learn more about this unique industry and Carol's path to business success. It was more than just sheer luck. Welcome, Carol. Hi, Marty. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast. All right. You don't start an agriculture podcast without asking a couple questions. First is, where are you today and what's the weather like? I am in Regina and it's very hot. It's a very, very nice day today. Uh, okay. I'm always looking for crop updates too. Any uh, perspective on what the crop looks like? Mm, I think that they look very awesome. From Saskatoon to Regina, they're, they're looking really, really good. All right. So you and I, we have a history. We met back at Agribition in the fall and I met you in the alpaca industry, which I actually don't know a lot about. So uh, you have an alpaca farm. Tell me a little bit about that. So I started raising alpacas in 1996. So I've had them for a long time and um, we're really lucky. We got to have a halter show at Agribition in um, 2018. So they invited us to come and we were very, very fortunate. And so, yeah, so then last year we had a halter show as well as we hosted a fleece show. So we had fleeces that came right across Canada, which was really cool. Okay. Well, I, this, there's a whole bunch of things about this that don't all add <laughs> up for me. So I'm, I know cows and canola. I don't know a thing about alpacas. Seems like a rather unusual animal to have in Western Canada. Um, I believe that alpacas are from Peru how do they end up in Western Canada and, and what is their purpose? You talk about fleece, but like, how'd they even get here and what do we use them for? So alpacas sort of came to Canada, I believe in about 1989 and they're raised for their, for their fiber, for their fleece. We shear them once a year and alpaca fiber is, it's really, really soft, but what's really great about alpaca fiber is how warm it is. So it's um, five times warmer than sheep's wool. And it also doesn't have lanolin, which lots of people are allergic to. So when you shear an alpaca, you literally can cart it and spin it and knit it. You don't have to wash it and scour it like you do with sheep's wool. And because alpaca fiber is has such a warm property, it makes sense to want to wear alpaca in Western Canada. So the animals um, do very, very well in our climate. In Peru, they live in the highlands, so they live anywhere between 10 to 16,000 feet above sea level. And it's really cold up there. So it, you know, where they are, it freezes at least 300 days of the year. So the alpacas actually really enjoy our weather. They do not enjoy weather like today. It's too hot. But they really like any, like, they love when it's below zero to about minus 15 and then, um, yeah, they really, they run around and they're pretty happy in Canada. So we're pretty lucky to have them here. So does do you and your alpaca friends have like this quiet competition with the sheep people about how much more awesome you are? <laughs> and then, 
And then there's like, clearly the sheep people must be disadvantaged if alpaca fiber is so good, <laughs> but something that doesn't add up for me is how do, how do they function this summer? Because if you said it's 300 days a year cold in Peru, this doesn't make sense for me. They can even live here. So they, uh, on my particular farm, we have lots of trees that they hang out under. We'll also um, put out water sprinklers for them so they can cool off. But but ultimately, we need to shear them before it gets too hot and also before the bugs come out. So I would shear the alpacas at my farm at the end of April, beginning of May. And then they're, they have a pretty, like their coat is long enough so they don't get bitten by the mosquitoes or horse flies. And because we shear them properly, we usually take off all of their fleece on their legs as well. And we try to take off on the top of their head, which is called the top knot. So it doesn't like they have a tooth on. They, um, they fare pretty good. The females will have their babies um, in usually on my farm in at the end of May or June or July, and um, their gestation is eleven months and ten days ish. <laughs> oh my Jesus, that's a long time. Okay, so I relate everything in my life to socks. It would appear. So, how many socks would I get off of one alpaca? Usually, an alpaca will shear anywhere between. Oh, eight to 13 pounds of fiber and you get four pairs of socks for each pound of fiber. So, um, so yeah, so it's pretty cool. They make us a lot of pairs of socks for us to wear in the winter. Um, on my, at my particular farm, I also belong to a company called Alpaca Naturally and they, um, purchase my raw fiber from me and then turn around and make Canadian made socks from a, a Canadian alpaca made in Canada. And, um, and then I can turn around and purchase those socks for wholesale and then sell them. So yeah, we're really lucky that company is located out of Lloydminster. Okay. All right. So your Western Canadian story, let, yes. let's, let's go back to kind of what the whole purpose of this podcast is about and kind of understanding your journey as a business owner. So you, you obviously had an idea to get into alpacas. Like where was the idea born? Oh, so back in 96, I would have been that the time when exotics were really popular in Western Canada. So there would have been ostriches and llamas and bison and elk. I, I believe deer were also really popular. And so when I researched it, I really felt that um, I really liked bison and I really liked alpacas, but I ultimately wanted to be able to show an animal and like handle them myself. And so um, I chose, and I believe that it made sense to raise an animal that produces a fiber that would keep us warm in a province that's cold. So so that's why that was how our journey began was the was purchasing a couple of pairs of alpacas. And since that time, I have bought an alpacas from all over Canada and in the United States. And I've traveled um, from B.C. to Ontario, going to alpaca farms, um, going to shows. I've sat on different boards. Yeah, I've got to do some really really interesting things with alpacas. So, so my sense is you're on the upper edge of your, of your industry, your sector. And I, you know, I got to think you were on the front end of this. I don't like, I think you, you raised a good point is the, the trend to exotics in Western Canada. I remember that back in the agribition era was we saw everything, deer, elk, bison, ostrich, all that. And, and, uh, and so obviously you chose alpacas. Um, you know, it couldn't have been easy being on the front end of that. So, you know, how many times did you want to quit? Hmm, that's a really good question. 
I don't think that I've ever not wanted to own alpacas. There's never been a point in time in 24 years that I thought, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done this. It's never been like that for me. Um, I raised my kids, like working with the animals. They got to learn just, they got to learn that livestock and, and running a business. Um, I've never not wanted to have them. I've always felt really blessed and lucky that I've got to have them in my life and they've taught us so much. So I want to come back to your kids in a minute, but before we get there is, I wonder how many times your accountant reminded you that maybe alpacas <laughs> wasn't the business to be in. Like, you know, clearly, clearly every industry is, is has its highs and lows. And so like walk us through the 24 years in alpaca business. Has it always been a money machine? Uh, what What's it look like from a business side? So um, when we first got alpacas, they were worth lots of money. So I would have bought a pair of alpacas for, oh, I think like $27,000. For two um, of them? Yes. And through the, the course of my career of having them, I've sold alpacas for more than that. And so um, not all the time has my dream been easy. I definitely have a full-time job that will supplement my alpaca farm in the lean years. So when BSC um, hit for cattle, it really hit us hard too. And so I actually had sold a female for $30,000 to go down to the States. So she had to sit at my farm for a couple of years while we waited the borders to open and just, um, just different things like that have also affected us. So just, just so I'm clear that, that female you sold, you still got the 30 grand. You just had to wait to get it across the border. You weren't impacted negatively on the ability to sell it was more to the transport. That's correct. So just before I went to Louisville, Kentucky, the borders closed. And um, so I went down anyways and found, and was lucky enough to find the lady that really wanted to purchase her. And since then, that um, have made a very good um, relationship with the lady down in Pennsylvania. But yeah, it was, we were lucky. We got to sell her and I looked after her, got her a couple of babies and then got her transported down to Pennsylvania when the borders opened. Yeah, it's starting to make sense to me now. You are affectionately known as the alpaca lady at Around Agribition. <laughs> so um, clearly your network would demonstrate that to be a well-earned title. Up next, we talk about how Carol's kids are involved in the farm, a little bit about her family, and of course, her legacy. Don't forget, for more great conversations like this, subscribe to the FCC Knowledge Podcast and never miss an episode. Let's come back to your kids. So you said, I pulled the kids into the business. Um, how old are your kids today? And then help me understand how they fit in or how you inserted them into this alpaca journey you've been on. Okay. So my daughter is 22 and she just finished a business degree at the U of S and my son is 19 and he graduated last year and he's um, looking at becoming a heavy duty mechanic. So my daughter would have been, Taylor would have been, a very, very big player for me with the alpacas. Both of my kids would have been, but Taylor more so. She was always with me. I started just teaching them that they had to go out and, you know, give them hay and water and grain. And if they didn't do that, then the animals wouldn't eat. So they learned very quickly how um, they had to do their chores with the animals before they were allowed to do their chores. So Christmas morning, we'd get up, do the alpaca chores before we would open Christmas presents and things like that. Later on, as my kids got bigger, 
they would like they had to clean the pens and and do and do easy stuff like that but i taylor learned how to give needles she learned how to do a um an ecropsy on an animal which was really really interesting that she liked that part okay, of okay you have to describe necropsy to our audience i know what that word is but bring us up to speed um so we had a we had an animal um pass and so we wanted to find out why and so she helped the vet um you know, look inside and see what was wrong with the animal and see why the animal had passed. And she was and cool with that, like putting her hands in a, in a dead animal? Yeah, she did it. I was really proud of her. Like, they, of course, have to help, help on shearing day, and which is a really big job. It takes for to shear an animal is usually between 15 or 15 to 20 minutes per animal. And yeah, so my kids would help out with that. Um, okay, what about, and then, what about the business of alpacas? Like, um, did did they ever own any animals, or how do you how do you sort of draw them into the other side of it, the, the balance sheet? So no, my kids have never have never owned any, which which is um, I thought about, but I also have a business partner that lives in Foam Lake, and so I think it just would have got too complicated. Um, most of the alpacas on my farm are co owned with um, Kelly. So so you would be the um, the epitome of a of a middle aged family running an agriculture business. Have you started to give some thoughts about transition and how you would how you would potentially move these alpacas into the kids or maybe they don't want them based on what you described. You got a daughter with a business degree, son in mechanics. You know, what's the exit strategy for you in the alpaca business? Mm, that's a very good question. I don't know where my daughter's life will um will end up. So I don't know if she'll end up in the city or she'll end up on an acreage. As well, the same would be said for my son. I could see Trayton not, he'll, he helps me lots with the animals, but not the same as Taylor. Taylor would have had more of a, even a business sense more for the animals. And so I could see Taylor possibly wanting to take them over. I think for Kelly and I, um, our exit strategy would be, and we've kind of talked about it a bit, is um, downsizing and then probably you know, selling a group of animals to a, to a young family to move forward. We have, so we'd have, you know, 25 years of, of um, building our genetics. And I think that that would be really shameful if that group of animals couldn't go forward to, for somebody else. So, so yeah, how does it make you feel when you think about, um, you know, you've clearly got lots of, lots of farming life left in you, but as you start to think about, do I need to have a plan? Uh, does it give you? Does it make you worry? Um, do you think I ah, will just deal with that as it becomes more near term? Is it too far away to even think about? No, I think it's something that um, everybody should think about, especially when they have. For me, because I have a business part- partner, so it's two families that are intertwined within the animals, and um, I think it's really smart for, for Kelly and I to have those discussions and to decide, you know, what 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 like what what would our plan be and and. Who, where would we sell this group of animals? We're really, we're really lucky. We have some really great stuff and um, some really unique animals. You know, later on in life, I could see. I, I, I think that that would only make sense to me. So, Carol, you strike me as somebody who has a lot of passion about alpacas. This is, you know, this is in your DNA. You've been at this for twenty four years. And did you ever have a business plan as part of your strategy here, or how did you? How did you structure your business 
and you know where are you at in maybe your growth uh, phase as well. So talk to me about business plan, maybe what growth looks like for you. So at the beginning of the alpacas, I would not have had a business plan. And all I wanted was to own a hundred of them because I thought that they were the like the best thing in the whole world. And I discovered, so that was in 96 and in 98, I discovered very quickly that it's not about owning a hundred of them. It's about owning the very best that I can afford. And so I quickly figured out that just having, you know, five high quality females is what I want. I even, I even wrote down that I knew that I just wanted high quality females versus a high quality male. Um, I could source males easily. Um, I could go and purchase stud services, but I know how important the female is. And so, so that was kind of always has been my, I don't know if it's a business plan, but it's always been my breeding plan to, I guess it would have been my business plan too. Cause I very quickly discovered that, um, I wanted five of the best I could afford since then. Um, when Kelly and I became partners in 2005, we have discussed, we, we discuss business all the time and try to figure out our budget and what we're going to spend for the year for, you know, going to shows and advertising, getting our name out there for marketing at the same time, what are we going to like, what are we going to sell? But then what are we going to turn around and purchase for genetics? So I think my business plan has always like, I've always had one in place, maybe not written, but always in the back of my mind, what I wanted to achieve. I I have to imagine as a business partner, as you refer to as Kelly, that um, you guys must've been sideways on various things and and when i mean sideways it's probably a disagreement to a whole out strategy disagreement um do you does, is kelly okay without the written business plan or do you have advice for somebody if you're going to go into a partnership like this how you want to structure them so that you can avoid some of those natural conflicts that happen in a business yes yeah, so i think that you should have a like you definitely should have a written business plan and you also should have an exit plan i think that both of those are really important when you're owning, like when you're in a, in a partnership, we're very fortunate. Um, and I don't know if it's because Kelly and I live so far away, like we have lived five hours apart. So I don't know if that's why, or we're just, um, we bring such different strengths to our business that that's the difference for us. I, I don't know, but um, I think that definitely you should have a written plan. So do you have any do-overs on this entire journey? Maybe like an animal that I shouldn't shouldn't have sold or an animal that I should have sold and missed out on the selling opportunity. Maybe that would be some do-overs that would kind of stick in my head that I can think of. Nothing in my partnership with Kelly would I ever have thought of as a do-over. Everything has been, I don't know, we just were very fortunate. I, I You know, I think we're coming to this point of the podcast where I like to ask everyone this question is, you know, what are you most proud of? You put your heart and soul into this thing. It clearly is part of your identity. And, you know, if you look back on it, what are you most proud of? So I'm really proud that Kelly and I both um, handle ourselves with integrity. And I've always wanted that when people purchase an animal from Tiger Lily Ranch or Tiger Park Alpacas, that um, we stand behind our name because each animal has our name on them. And um, that that's really important to me. I also um, enjoy selling um, really good breeding stock 
to people that turn around and then they end up beating us in the show ring. I think that that's a really cool accomplishment. Um, that makes me really proud that, that, uh, that my customer will be so happy. You know, I spent a lot of time around the purebred cattle industry in my working career and as a kid. And, and I, I think it doesn't matter what segment of agriculture you're in. I think people would share those same moments of pride. I, th- I think it's pretty cool as a breeder, if you can sell something to somebody else and they, uh, they go on to greatness. I, I think that is a measure of such a great um, breeding program. And so I, I certainly would share your pride in that for sure. So Carol, I want to thank you for joining us today on the FCC Knowledge Podcast. I think your transparency and your openness is such a, such a great guiding light for us, and uh, and we wish you well in your uh, in your business as you continue to dream, grow, and thrive in Tiger Lily Ranch. Thank you so much. As we learned today, starting the right farm business is different for each person. For Carol, her passion was alpacas. She also clearly understood her business goals purchase the best quality females, and let that drive her growth. Lastly, she also found a strong business partner who complemented her abilities. Remember, the best partner is one that complements our skills, not mirrors them. If you like what you heard, give this podcast a like. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any more interesting stories from real people running real businesses across Canada. Join us as we continue to highlight the real experiences of farm business entrepreneurs and the lessons we've learned apply to our own lives and our own operations. If you're looking for more resources to help you run a better business, check out fcc.ca slash knowledge. <laughs>